I'm going to pray, and we're going to transition into God's word here. So God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you. Uh, thank you for Pablo. Thank you for his dad. Uh, thank you for his family. Um, God, I pray that you just continue to, um, to draw him to you, to reveal your goodness, your love, the fact that you created him and you love him. And God, thank you for just grasping Pablo's heart and Rachel's heart and just how they want to just be a light and, and just your loving presence in their life. And so, God, I just pray that you would just break down any walls. I pray that that liver would continue just, just to, to, um, to, to be healthy, to bring him a new sense of life uh, here on this earth. And so, God, I just pray for that. And, and, and I, like Pablo also said, uh, God, we just pray for, for the family of the one who, who donated that. And so, God, we just want to think of, of that all the way around. And so, God, we just lift that up to you. Pray for Sharon's back. Pray for their, their appointment tomorrow. And I know that's been a struggle, and, and, uh, but we just pray for healing. God, we also just pray for all the other uh, things, relational issues, marriage issues, emotional, financial, physical, uh, spiritual, whatever it might be, God, that we're facing. God, it matters to you. You know us better than, you know our, than we know ourselves. And you, you see the things that we don't see. So God, help us to find rest in that, to find comfort and peace and hope and joy along the way because of your love, because of your undeserved grace that you just lavish on us. So God, uh, this morning as we just uh, shift gears just a little bit, we just want to dig into your word and hear what you have to say, us, uh, say to us this morning, God. Again, if we're just anything uh, just hindering us, God, I pray that we would just surrender that and we would just open up our, our, our minds and our hearts to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this week, uh, the, the whole Ghost Sunday, we, like Drew said, we do that about once or twice a Sunday, usually like right after Christmas and then sometime throughout the summer. Uh, it kind of gives us a rest, but it's also like, like this is just, this is really fun. I really love this, but it's just one expression of who we are as the church. This isn't the church. We are the church, right? And so it's kind of fun to be able to be intentional of saying, man, just get out, go have fun, go kayak, go, go hang out at Starbucks, go, you know, sleep in, whatever it is, go, go to your neighbors, whatever. Um, but these weeks are, are, are so much fun, but, but they're also a little bit exhausting. But one of the most fun parts for me is to be able to connect with a group that comes in. And every year, it seems like God just brings like a couple people that, that just God's really working in their lives and their hearts. And uh, this year we had the opportunity to host uh, Coach Cade and Coach Luke. Luke is actually, um, he's, a, he's a coach at a college in Iowa and just a fantastic guy. Um, so Luke, actually, you might have seen him throughout the week or you saw on the video if you noticed, uh, he actually has this really bad, like he walks like that. And, and it's always kind of interesting because um, uh, his story is this. He sh actually shared his story at the camp. But Luke in high school growing up, he was a freak athlete. Like he was a two-sport two all-state. Like he was a stud quarterback. He was recruited to go play quarterback in college. He was going, was just ripping it up. And all of a sudden he starts having this, this excruciating pain in his knee and it just wouldn't go away and say, take him in and they do a scan. And sure enough, he has a massive cancerous tumor that's just obliterating his knee. And so to get rid of the cancer, they had to pretty much just decimate his whole knee. Now, the good thing is, is that he was able to keep his leg because I've known people that have had cancer in their legs that just, they just amputate right away because it's so bad, but he was able to keep it, but he was never going to be able to walk the same way again. And here we are several years later and, and he's going around, right? 
his walk has been forever changed. He has a very distinct walk. Now, what's interesting is we were walking throughout the week. He and I would walk. We were, I'm kind of selfishly like I wanted to hang out with him and just hear his story and what God's been doing in his life. Um, he, it's, it's interesting to watch what, what people do, how people respond to that, right? And I grew up, like my youth pastor was in a wheelchair. I've always kind of gravitated towards people with kind of physical handicaps or needs or whatever. And it's always interesting to see how people respond. And one of the most interesting responses was this sweet, adorable old lady literally goes up to him and said, what's the story on your knee? And he tells her and she goes, boy, just watching you walk just reminds me of just how much I have to be thankful for. And, and I thought, I know you're meaning that well, but basically you're throwing in his face, wow, your life sucks so bad that no matter how bad my life will get, it's not going to be as bad as yours. You know, like, like that's just, it was, but she didn't mean it, but that's just kind of what comes out. Right. Like, and he just laughed. He just chuckles. He understands that he's heard it all. Right. Um, now what, what's interesting is he shared this at sports camp and then he shared a little bit more behind the scenes with me later. He says, Oh, don't get me wrong. When I was going through surgery and chemo, I was mad and I was mean. He said, I was about the worst son the worst player, the worst teammate that, uh, that, that you could have had, that I could have been. And, and, he, and he owns that. He just recognized it because he was mad at God. He was mad at the world. Here, all this stuff is being taken away from me. And, and I have to now learn how to adjust my life to this new walk, right? And I'm going to limp everywhere I go. However, a few years back, he had a very, very strong encounter with the Lord. And he basically just realized this is nothing compared to you and and kind of the the whole thing of of where paul says please take this away from me but but god doesn't and he says in my in your weakness my strength is made perfect and it radically transformed his life and that guy is so on fire for the lord like you just can't get enough of it He's so infectious and, and he's so humble. And these actually has become a platform to which God is using that in incredible, incredible ways. Yes, he still gets looked at a little odd, but when people actually open up and take the time to hear his story, they are immediately impressed on by the power of God in his life. Not only did God want him to learn how to walk again, he wanted Luke to fly. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning again in Colossians. Last week, we, we looked at how this learning to walk, right? And all these, we used the example of the big old backpack that had all the straps and the, and the loops, and, and we're going to stuff it full, and then it has more loops to hang more stuff on, and, and how, how asinine it would be to actually say, I'm going to teach you how to walk by putting this backpack on you, and then you're like being yanked around, right? That's not a great way to learn how to walk. But he says, here's how to walk. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus, and that's how you, how you walk. But now this morning, um, we're going to see that Jesus actually frees us to find our identity in him. And when we surrender that, we no longer are bound by our efforts or by our performance. Jesus doesn't just want us to walk. He wants us to fly. He frees us to fly. This morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through chapter three, verse four. And we're going to see two distinct effects that Jesus has on our lives. 
First of all, our death in Jesus actually releases us from the law. That sounds really, really weird. That our death in Jesus releases us from the law. This morning, I'm actually reading, I usually go from the New Living Translation, so if it sounds a little bit different, I'm actually going to the NIV because I love the way that they translate the, the Greek better in, in this passage. So we're going to, uh, Colossians 2, 16 through the end of that chapter. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I love, actually, this is one part in the, in the New Living Trans Translation. It says, these are just a shadow of the reality. Jesus is reality. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes to gr into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported, uh, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to these rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. There's three parts to this of, of talking about how our death in Jesus actually releases us from the, from the law. First of all, Jesus frees us from reputation. Jesus frees us from reputation. We see that in verse 16, 18, and 23, where these people are obsessed with the sense of false humility. I am so humble. Look at all the things that I have given to whatever it is. I do this and I do that. And wow, nobody is more humble than me. Right? Like, like that's, that's, we are so obsessed with, with false humility, the appearance of wisdom, and it's easy to get stuck serving other people's opinions of us instead of what Jesus thinks of us. We live in an image and reputation obsessed culture. I, I don't want to like go off on a rant. Social media can be an incredibly powerful thing. It's, it is God is using it. He has used it. I'm not going to say everybody needs to get off of, you know, social media and go live in the cave with me, right? Like, like that's not what God is saying. But I think he is saying, be careful. Because I know how easy it is because of my struggle with insecurity and trying to please people and trying to gain the approval of others. That's what, that's what drove me for years the, when I started, when social media started coming out, I felt myself started to creep back into that because we're living for the approval of others. Look at my awesome vacation. Look at this. Look at this. Look at my plate of food. Okay, it's food, right? Like, like I can't smell it. I can't taste it. Stop, you know? Um, I, I may or may not have, like, had some meals before, though, that were so amazing. It's kind of like, why am I doing this, you know? But still, 
What happens is that we become enslaved to the opinions of others. How many people liked it? How many people responded? How, how, how much traction am I getting? We see this individually. Guys, I see churches that are obsessed with social media because they want the likes. They want affirmation. They want to be seen. They want this. They want that. And it's kind of like, they will know we are his disciples by our love. How do I treat you in person? Not how clever of posts can I do. Not how amazing my little TED talk of a sermon can be. Not how it tickles our ears. Not how, you know, I mean, I can break out skinny jeans if you guys want me to. It's like, would that, would that be, that would help with us never having to build a gym. There you go. That would, that would like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. So, so, um, but what happens, <laughs> for those of you who are listening online, my wife just informed our entire church, I won't let that happen. So there you go. So there we go. But you get what I'm saying? Like, what happens is we become enslaved to the other person's opinion of us because we're so worried about reputation. Jesus wants to set us free from that. That was one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life is instead of caring what you think about me, I care about you. Instead of using you for me, I want God to use me for you. Instead of viewing the community as what can you do for my church, what can Jesus's church do for this community? It's a huge shift, and there's too much insecurity going on out there. Because insecurity turns everything towards me. I remember struggling, and I was, I was saying, well, I just struggle with insecurity. I'm, I'm just not prideful. I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so down on myself. And somebody actually looked me in the eye and said, insecurity is one of the most disguised versions of pride. Because you can't stop thinking about yourself. And I was like, snap. Jesus, I need you. Jesus saves us and releases us from reputation. The second thing is he frees us from religion, verses 16 through 19. He lists all the things that these people are doing because they, they did these and then they felt really good about themselves. Religion at its best is our attempt to know the unknowable right? Like it, religion is our attempt to know our creator. And, and there's, there's, there can be positive things about religion. Like people are like, I hate religion. Well, I don't hate religion because it's just, it's really at its best. It's just us trying to know God. And it's kind of like, like, what can we do to know our creator? Right. And so sometimes it gets a bad rap, but at its worst, religion becomes our God. Because if it's all about me, religion becomes a tool for me to get a better me. If we ever go down that road, you, you better like spike my tires or something severe, right? Like you better punch me in the face. You better say querying, like, like stop it. Because if it ever becomes about anything other than our creator, anything other than our savior, if we replace God with anything, we have to stop. Now, remember, Paul's talking about a couple different heresies that were moving into this early Christian movement, this early Jesus movement. And one was the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics, again, they were saying spirit and, and, and matter are two totally separated things. They cannot touch. 
And so the way that they would, would, would justify these things is that you have God, the spirit, and then the created. And so what they had was all these the digression of gods, AKA angels. And that's where he says the worship of angels. So in, in the, the Gnosticism kind of taught us the secret ways to find God through this progression of demigods up to the actual God. Cause we can't as, as flesh, we can't go to God. And there's no way that Jesus could be the incarnational presence of God on earth, flesh and blood, fully human and fully God at the same time, because, well, that just can't happen. Well, no kidding. He's God. Of course, he really is good at the things that could never happen, right? Um, and so they had the secret things of worshiping the angels, of kind of the secret knowledge and stuff like that. He had the aesthetics. And the aesthetics are basically, if I, if I punish myself enough, if I deprive myself of food, if I, if, I, if I injure myself, if I do all these different things in a very public way to where everybody knows just how serious I am. You ever heard the thing, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's, it's, or do you really sincerely believe it? How does that make any sense? I can believe that I can fly and really, really believe it. But the second that I jump out of an of a airplane without a, a shoot, do you think my sincere belief matters squat? No, it's either true or it's not. And so if I believe that I can earn my way to God, okay, that's great. You believe but it's still not true because Jesus is the only one who can get us to God. He says that all throughout the Bible. And then the last group, the last heresy were the legalists. It was the religious leaders of the day to where you have the law and every aspect of life is governed by a law. And if there's not a law for that, we'll create a law for that, right? Because the law is our Messiah. The law is our savior. Now, let me ask you a question. How much is enough? How good is good enough? How much money is enough to give? How much devotion is enough to give? How much is enough? How good is good enough? And let's just look at the logic of that right there. Who is the savior? Who gets the glory? Me, because I earned it. I once had a friend who, who said, you know, I am sick and tired of telling, being told that God deserves all the glory. What about me? I'm the one who's doing all the work. I want some glory for this. And I was like kind of backing away, like, okay. But we were in Starbucks, so God wasn't going to like strike, strike riches Starbucks with like, there you go. Um, the sanctified holy place there. So what Paul, bra what breaks Paul's heart though, is that he says, guys, there's this body that's held together by ligaments and sinews. And guess who's the head? Jesus. They want to put themselves at the head. And because they wanted to be the head of their own body, they completely missed Jesus. The third thing is this. Jesus sets us free from regulations. It's very similar to religion, but it's kind of the stuff that we find in verses 20 through 23. It's similar because there's this religion, these regulations, these codes that, and he says they sound really good. They sound really good. Morality is great. Service is great. Sacrifice is great. All these things are great. But let's get behind. Paul says that all the credit and glory go to the leaders who created them and the people that do them. 
It makes people who do it look really good. But again, if I perform really well, then I'm really good. What happens when life happens? And I fail, I mess up. Am I banished? Am I canceled? Am I stuck on the treadmill of forever trying to earn my good graces? If you ever hear anybody say, oh, are you trying to get back in good graces? Say, that's not a thing. Because if you earn your way back into good graces, it's not grace. It's a wage. Grace is a gift freely given. And that's what distinguishes Jesus of the Bible, Christianity of the Bible from any other religion, is that it's not earning our way back into good, quote unquote, graces. Jesus um, makes even our best efforts look like filthy rags. It's like he says in verse 23, he says, it lacks any value whatsoever in being able to actually help you in our life. I like in Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus actually attacks the Pharisees because they're, they're basically saying, you know, you need to, to become this, this race, this nation, this, this practice. You have to do all these things and you have to adhere to this code to be okay with God. And, and Jesus says this, you make your converts twice the son of hell that you are. You think you're helping them, but you're actually destroying them. That would hurt. <laughs> but Jesus comes to give us freedom. So that's our death in Jesus. When we surrender, when we die to the things that we need to die to, when we give our lives to Christ, he releases us from the law, reputation, religion, and regulations. The second part comes in Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. It's this, our faith in Jesus means that we are rising, risen to new life. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. Now, there's a couple, there's three things going on here again. One, Jesus redirects our pursuits. In verse one, he says, set our hearts. That, that Greek word there is zeteo. And it literally means to seek after, to yearn, to crave, right? It's like everything in my heart yearns for this. I pursue this. Jesus redirects. I'm telling you, there's things that we yearn and chase after and seek that are not life-giving. We, we pursue all sorts of different things, and we think we need to have it. We, I will not be okay if I don't get this, if I can't do that. And it's just we, we struggle, but Jesus redirects those things. How much do we seek what God cares about? How much do we care about what God cares about. When we spend time reading God's word, when we spend time in conversation or, or aka prayer, when, when, when all those things, are we seeking the gift or the giver? Are we seeking the creator? Are we saying, God, reveal your heart to me? Because I know what's in my heart, but I want to surrender my heart to you. I want my desires to become your desires. And then in verse three, we see, uh, sorry, verse two, 
we see um, where he says, set our minds. So our hearts are yearning, are craving. And then in verse two, it says, set your minds for nail, which means thinking, perspective, understanding, judgment, how we evaluate, how we think. Jesus reshapes our perspective. You know, the old cliche of you can't change your circumstances, but you can change your perspective. That is such biblical truth. <laughs> that is such biblical truth. Have you ever been like, like, okay, what am I, you kind of think through an issue or you can't find something or you're trying to find, and you're like, I just can't think, I can't think, I can't see it, I can't see it. And all of a sudden you move like three steps over, like, oh, there it is, right? Or you think about it a different way. You change your perspective and all of a sudden things click. Jesus changes our perspective. Yes, things might be hard, but we see the value of what God is doing. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18 says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. I love that Paul writes this because the guy gets martyred. He gets killed for his faith. He spends most of his time as a follower of Jesus in prison. Guys, our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. For what's seen is temporary and what's unseen is eternal. Think eternally. Change our perspective. Allow Jesus to show us the value of the things that we are going through. I had some really good time with, with Luke, and I just, I just said, hey, I just kind of, I don't know, like God just kind of said, hey, just, just validate Luke's struggle. Just let him know that too often people are like, oh, what a cool thing. You like lost your mobility. You couldn't play college football, and you get to walk with the limp for the rest of your life. Way to go, God, right? Because we want to skip through the pain. But I said, I cannot imagine the weight that you carry every day. I cannot imagine how, how much of a struggle every step is for you. My, my, I, I don't even want to think about it. I am a big wimp. Like I have shoulder surgery, which it was no big deal. It was no big Wait, this is your second one. So, you know, it's terrible, right? Is I'm a big wimp, right? But I mean, I'm okay, but I was a huge wimp through it. And so I said, dude, I want you to know that, that I can't even imagine. And he says, thank you. I appreciate that. But God is good. And I was like, I'm glad that you said that. Because only somebody who's been through that pain has like the, the understanding of just how God is good in the middle of that. But here's the thing. God can change our perspective in the middle of whatever we're going through. I've known some people that have had affairs, cheated on their, cheated on their spouse. And instead of calling it quits and saying, well, you did that, you're gone. I'm done. Or, well, I guess I'm just a screw up. I guess there's no more hope. They stayed in the battle. They let God redeem that situation. And today they have amazing marriages. Yeah, there's some scars, but scars tell stories of what God has healed. 
That's powerful because how many people have struggled once you see what God can do in that situation, God can handle my situation too. But it requires us to allow Jesus to change our perspective, set our minds on eternal things. Our life seems like all there is, but you know what? It's going to be gone in a blink of an eye. And eternity in heaven, we're going to look back and say, oh my gosh, you guys remember when you were little kids and you thought that something you experienced was like the biggest, greatest, worst, most cataclysmic thing ever. And then you're looking back as we're like, wow, homework in high school, that was tough, right? Like, <laughs> try having a job, right? Like, like, like that kind of stuff. We're going to be in heaven sitting there saying, oh my gosh, and remember when you took me through that, God? Like, remember that? And he goes, I was right there with you, bro. Like, like, it's going to be amazing, but we have to think about our perspective. And then the last thing is this, is that Jesus redefines our purpose. That's in verses three and four. It says that we are hidden in Jesus. The Greek word here is crypto. Crypto. And it means to hide to conceal, to escape notice. It takes a lot of trust to do things that will maybe never get noticed, but yet we stay in the game. Um, my, my son is a lineman in college. I played lineman. I coached line at the high school and, and no offense to receivers or defensive backs or anything like that. I love you, bro. I love you guys with all of my heart, but line when you do your job and everything goes well. Who gets the credit and the glory? The quarterback, the receiver, the running back. Oh, look at me dancing through the end zone. We're like over there, like, like oh my gosh, I'm, you know. But when things go wrong, who gets the blame? Come on, line block. Like, we're trying. Come on, right? But that's the relationship that we have with God. It's kind of like, am I willing to stay in the trenches with God and do what he called me to do, even though my name is never going to get put on the, on, the, on the scoreboard? No recognition. But you know what? It says, in the end, we will be revealed with Christ in his glory. We are his glory. He's going to give us glory. And not for me, like, yeah, look at me. It's going to be look at him. We were able to be in the trenches with him and he believed in us and he empowered us and everything that we are was him. And yeah, I, I had fun, but it's all Jesus. That's where real freedom begins. Are we willing to be hidden in Christ and let him be the center of attention? One of the things that I love about our worship team is it's not about them. We have some of the most ridiculously talented people and they just go and play. They have fun with the talents that Jesus gave them for his glory. And that's why our worship is so powerful because it's about him and, and people are seeing him and worshiping him, not us. We want him to appear. And then he's kind of like, oh, get out here, you turkey. Come on, you're right here by me. You know, like that's amazing. So let's close out by stepping back just a little bit, looking at the mechanics of these things. First of all, we die with Jesus. We surrender ourselves to him. We release ourselves to him. And what happens? He releases us from bondage. Instead of it all being about me, for me, through me, to me, everything about me, it's now all him. And then the second thing is this. We put our faith in Jesus. 
We go all in with him. We put our lives in his hands and he leads us to true life. When we surrender, when we give those things, when we give our highest highs and our lowest lows to Jesus, now all of a sudden he sets us free in him. It's not about our abilities, our strengths, our endurance, our performance. It's him. It's him. We need to surrender all that we are to him. And in that surrender, we're going to find ultimate freedom. Instead of struggling, instead of struggling to walk, we're freed to fly. I love um, this morning as I was kind of going through my notes. I just kept on getting this verse, Romans 8.31, that if God is for us, who can even stand a chance against us? We're with him. And it's his power, his strength that actually sets us free. So how is Jesus calling you to surrender your identity, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your struggles, your weaknesses to him? How is he calling us to surrender to him? How is Jesus inviting us to allow him to redirect, reshape, and redefine all that we are? How is he wanting to set us free so that we can live out of his salvation? Again, some would say that Luke would be really justified to just be really mean and mean and mad, right? But instead, he surrenders his walk to Christ. And he's impacting, like, that guy is so connected. He's such a humble dude, but he knows people all across the nation. And, and he is impacting lives for eternity because of what Jesus is doing in his life. Look at who wrote this. The Apostle Paul literally wrote these words with a pen and on a parchment. And what was around his wrists? Shackles. He was in a prison when he was writing about ultimate freedom, about flying with Jesus, going through life, living the life that you could never have even imagined for yourself as he is chained to a guard in a prison. That's real freedom. That's real freedom. It's old paint half my face blue. You guys know where I'm going and saying all men will die but not all men will truly live. Are we truly living? Are we living in the freedom that comes from Christ and Christ alone? Are we allowing even really good seeming things to entrap us, to enslave us, to ensnare us? My prayer is that we continue to go all in with Jesus. And if we're not there yet, let's ask questions. Let's talk. If there's hangups, if there's past hurts from all these different things, let's go there because you know what? Jesus wants to set you free from those. He wants all of you to be free in him. And so that's our desire as a church family to continue to pursue this, to continue to grow in this, to continue to live this out and to continue to invite everybody around us to do the same. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just the truthfulness of this message. I thank you that, that God, you, you don't just give us a, a list or, or things that says, okay, here's what you need to do. Now tell me when you're done. And if you did it well enough, then I'll accept you. Instead, Jesus, you, you run to us. You're like the prodigal father chasing after his son who, 
who decides to come back and says, I am not worthy to be your son, but can I at least please work for you? And he goes, no, you are my son. I restore your position. I restore your authority. I restore your privilege. I restore the relationship. And so God, just speak to us. If there's anything in our hearts, anything in our minds that's holding us back from pursuing you, all of you, if there's good sounding things that we need to repent of and say, Jesus, I think I've been leading more towards myself than giving you the glory. If, if we've used religion or, or certain practices or whatever it is, God, that we think it's about us, God, help us to, to run off the stage and to turn it over to you. God, I pray if there's sin in our lives, if there's, if there's addiction, if there's pride, if there's anger, if there's unforgiveness, if there's anything, Jesus, your spirit knows us, you indwell in us, and so you know every nook and cranny of us. God, reveal those things to us that we hold on to instead of you. Set us free. God, you wipe those things out on the cross. Don't let us live like we're still enslaved to, to something that's dead and gone. Help us to live out of that freedom. Help us to, to be so filled with your presence, with your truth, with your love, that it just spills over to those around us. Help us to be people of your truth, of your love. We just love you and we thank you so much. Praise your name. Amen.